precious gems, precious gems. Women want them, and men try to avoid getting them, right? I want to look at a few precious gems, a painite gem. The Guinness Book of World's Record said in 2005 that this was the rarest gem in the world. Cindy, don't expect a necklace that looks anything like that in the near future, unless it's a cubic zirconia painted. Uh, Tanzanite. Tanzanite, another beautiful, very rare. These are the, the four. I'm going to share with you four of the top ten rarest gems in the world. thousand times rarer than a diamond, Tanzanite. Red diamonds, red diamonds, beautiful. And what the experts say is the rarest jewel in the world is the red beryl. Red beryl is $10,000 a carat. I figured I could get my wife a one thirty second of a carrot for about 312 bucks. Of course, you couldn't see it unless you had a magnifying glass or a telescope on her, but uh, rare gems. We're going to look at rare gems tonight in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Not minerals, not chemicals, but people. By the way, these are, are things that everyone in this room is called to be. I, I call them rare gems because they're very valuable and there are not very many people who who truly fulfill these things. As I've looked at this all week, uh, it's been clear in my life how, how often I have failed uh, in these areas. But man, are these important. Number one is, uh, it, we're going to look at these as actions. It's restoring those who have fallen into sin. When Galatians was written and it was circulated, certainly there's strong messages in here to lost people and a message about uh, salvation rings through, but it was it was circulated to churches, knowing there's lost people in churches, hoping there's lost people coming to churches, but also to uh, to the believers in this church. And in verse one of chapter six, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Man, I'm going to tell you, there is a lot of good stuff in this verses. We're going to walk through it. Number one, this is talking about probably the Christian whose sin has become known. This is, uh, th- this is all of a sin. So what's probably this is addressing is a Christian, a person in the church who has fallen into something, and it's, it's become known. I think, it, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, so that's pretty obvious. How many of you sinned last week? How many of you sinned today? No hands, and we're going to bring you up here, and you're going to give testimony to how the rest of us can do it. You all have sin. This is, this is obviously a little more of a flagrancy. The word sin here, it can mean an unintentional. This is interesting. It mean an unintentional. Someone just... Wasn't planning on doing something, they just did it. Or it can mean a willful transgression of the law of God or a trespass. Remember, trespass, we know what trespassing is. Trespassing is you go where you shouldn't go. And we all go where we shouldn't go with God, don't we? With other people. And maybe this person uh, has committed adultery and it's become known. Maybe they took something from work that they shouldn't have. Maybe they acted ugly at a ball game and it became... uh, it went viral on YouTube or something that, you know, something happened and this person in this incident 
got busted wide open. Now, the, the thing that this passage is going to remind us of, this is going to happen to all of us, so how this person is treated, I bet you, is how you would want to be treated too. What do we do with the person, the Christian, whose sin has become known? Well, we're going to talk about restoration, but here's one of the first things he says. The right kind of people need to be on the restoration team. The right kind of people need to be on the restoration team. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. Not everybody, not everybody who's in the church, not everybody who is in a leadership position. When someone falls unintentionally or they willfully, they just bend off and they end up doing things they shouldn't do. God says specifically people who are spiritual, not religious. Did you get that? Not simply people who are moral or who don't do certain things, but people who are spiritual. That means someone who is saved and someone who has walked with Christ. Do we have anyone in here tonight who is qualified to work on a transmission of a car? I want to tell you, I'm not. And if you bring your transmission to Josh and Zach and I and want us to work on it, it's not going to go well. Correct, guys? If you had to have brain surgery, are you going to come to Wayne and I this week and ask us to pray and get out the scalpel? Only if you're very simple or very poor, right? You want someone qualified. This is the same thing here. This is very interesting. God said this, isn't it? God didn't say you just send a group from the church. God didn't say that you who just want to get involved in the mess. God says the people who are spiritual should be involved in the restoration. Obviously, this shouldn't be a baby Christian. This shouldn't be someone who's new to the faith, getting involved in something that's messy. It shouldn't be someone who is not a very strong Christian. Let me give you two people, two it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the legalist. The legalist is somebody that's going to want to cut their head off probably. And the flip side of that, it shouldn't be the liberal. It shouldn't be the one that would say, oh, you had three or four affairs. That's okay. Let's have a group hug. God loves you and so do I. Are you following me? It, it's a special kind of person. It, and we're going to see more in a moment. It's a person who loves God and loves people and who has a walk with God. And I think this is very, very important. You know, as a pastor through the years, I, I've had to be involved in some of these. And I want to tell you, this is not fun. This is not fun. It's not fun at all. It's tough. And, and I'm not saying I was ever the right kind of person, but by virtue of the, the lack of willingness for anyone else to go and because of my position, I've had to. Be the spiritual person who can do this. But remember, if you have a family member or a friend who falls into sin, don't just send anybody to go talk to them to try to help them. Send somebody who has a great relationship with Jesus. Number three, and this is big, seek to restore them. There's an old saying that Christians are the only one to shoot their wounded. You ever heard that before? That's true. That's true a lot of times. Someone falls, sometimes we're happy. I told you they were that kind of person. 
Or we want to hang them high, or again, we want to ignore the sin. The word restore in your Bibles is a great, great word. It's a verb which means to completely, listen, completely and thoroughly repair or mend something. It was the picture of the fisherman. Now, remember, Jesus, several of his men were fishermen, mending their nets. Their nets had become old or rotten, and they had holes in them, so they were fixing them so they would be back to 100% success as a net. It was also, in the Greek culture, it was a medical verb. It was used to... To, to, for a doctor to set or to mend a bone. It was, it was rehabilitation is what this was saying. God was saying when someone falls in sin, and listen, in our church, we're just too big. There's too many of us. It happens from time to time. It's going to happen in the future. Somebody that we know and we love is going to mess up. What is the goal? The goal is restoration rehabilitation it takes two you cannot rehab ask Trey ask Brandon you can't rehab someone who doesn't want to be rehabbed can you guys if they're not willing you can't help them spiritually that's true you go to them and you say you need to put the bottle down you you need to go to rehab you need to quit chasing other women beside your wife you need to make things right with your family. And they say, no, I won't do it. That's, I'm not repenting. I'm not sorry. You can't restore that person. It takes two. That's one of the reasons this thing's so tough. But the goal is restoration. How many of you think this is good, that it's restoration? I know some people would like to have a hangman's noose up here at the, behind the pulpit that we strung them up hang, you know, high and, and, and let them have it. And folks... Restoration doesn't mean there's not consequences because there is. There's consequences to sin. But the goal, man, this is so good. The goal is restoration. In John chapter 8, Braden, you touched on this last Sunday night, didn't you? Love the red pants. I watched his sermon this week, and he looked like his hero kind of, didn't he, there? I got it. They didn't get it, but. John chapter 8, what did the Pharisees do with the woman caught in adultery? Kill her. And technically, by the letter of the law, they were correct, weren't they, the Old Testament law? Kill her. What was Jesus' goal? Repent and restoration. Jesus didn't say, oh, honey, everybody slips. We understand. He said, go and sin no more. But I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Repent. And, and I want to restore you. That's the goal. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you want to be restored when it's you? Every one of us wants to be. That's the goal. Restore. Now, here's the fourth thing he tells us. And it, it's, it's really neat that he puts all these things in this verse. Do it gently. Do it gently. Restore that person gently. The word gently means meekly or sweetly or kindly. If you've got a dislocated joint or a broken bone, you don't want the doctor grabbing you and go, come here. You want them to be as gentle as they can be, don't you, with that that joint or that bone. God's saying when, when someone has literally split their britches, our goal is to restore them. That does mean repentance on their part, a willingness to change and be different. But our goal is to restore them completely 
And it, it, the, the way you're to go about it is gently. I think that's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ tells us to do. We don't deny the sin. We confront the sin. We hold to the truth 110%, but we do it gently in love. Some people, I think they, they want to confront sin, and they're glad they're getting the chance to do it, aren't they? Have you ever heard someone preach on hell, and it was like they were glad people are going there? <laughs> sure you have. Do it gently. And here's the last thing he says, and I think this is, uh, this is uh, like one million times applicable to all of us. Be humble. Do this humbly. Restore that person gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. And the idea here is not just you being tempted. The idea is you falling into sin. The, he, the Greek word watch there means to consider something or look at it thoroughly. It's the picture of a runner looking at the finish line towards the end of the race or the sprint. And they're looking at the tape. They're looking at the goal. Here's what God says. When people fall, the tendency is for us to go, I told you. I, I knew it. Hadn't you heard that? I knew it. That doesn't surprise me. You ever heard that before? Or we come into our Bible study class and we'll say, let's pray for them. What happened? Well, I don't need to really tell you, but I think they stole a lot of money. I think they're beating their wife and their kids. But, you know, let's pray for them about that. And God says, you better keep your eye on yourself because if you think you can't fall, Satan is laughing and he is aiming his gun right at your head. Let me ask you this evening, we'll talk about this maybe more next week. What sin do you think you can't fall into? That's probably the thing the devil's got his eye on you for right now. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 <clears throat> Read this aloud with me. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's a great little warning there, isn't it? George Whitfield was a great preacher in the 1700s. George Whitfield one day watched a man being taken to the gallows to be hanged. And people were saying, look at that sorry criminal, that guy, he deserves it, yada, yada, yada. And Whitfield looked at him and said, there go I, but by the grace of God. There go I, but by the grace of God. This is a rare gem. The person who sees someone who's blown it. Maybe in your family, maybe in our church. Who, who's, who's a professing Christian who has gone off the tracks. And who is spiritual enough to be able to go in and help them. To restore them with their help and their permission to bring them back to where they once were with Christ and to do it gently and humbly. That's a rare gem. But I want to tell you, this is an extremely important thing to do and to be. And I guarantee you, I've failed in this area multiple times. Our challenge is, is that we do this moving forward. Be this kind of person. Let me give you our second thought this evening. And they go hand in glove together, obviously, Help others around you. Not only help those who've fallen into sin, but help those around you. Now, verse 2, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about, let's give, let me give this to you first. He's talking about those who are struggling with burdens, 
problems and temptations. Maybe not the person who's busted it wide open sin-wise, but the person who may be on the verge of it, the person whose problems and burdens are just overwhelming them. In verse 2, carry each other's burdens. The Greek word burdens there means literally a weight that is pressing one down. Here's an interesting tidbit. In John 19, verse 17, when it's talking about Jesus carrying the cross, John 19, 17, that same word, burden is used remember Jesus cross was too heavy do you remember that and nobody jumped in and said hey can I carry the cross probably for good reason they thought if I jump in they're going to crucify me too or they're going to associate me with Jesus and they were afraid to do that so the Roman soldiers conscripted remember Simon of Serene and made him because Jesus couldn't carry the cross any farther That's the word here that's used when a person is facing things that are pressing them down. That's just too heavy for them. Problems, burdens, finances, marital issues, problems with school, girlfriend problems, boyfriend problems, family issues, whatever it is. By the way, how many of you know 10 people who have those issues tonight? You do. And you have them too. Here's simply what God says. Help them. Folks, we ought to help people halfway across the globe. And our church is wonderful at that. We give a lot of money. We take mission trips. We pray. We ought to do everything we can to help people who are hurting everywhere in the world. But I tell you, we're failing as Christians if we don't help those around us. He was telling those people in Galatia. Certainly, he wanted them financially to give and support others, but he was telling them, look, you got people in your own backyard and your family who can't carry their burden. Are you helping them? Help those around you. And, and it's interesting when he says, carry each other's burdens. That verb there is, is, a, is a verb of continuousness. It's keep carrying, keep helping. It's not like I help you tonight. If you need help, I continue to help you is what that's saying. Let me give you several th- ways how we help people. How do we help people carry their burdens, their problems? One, we pray for them. We pray for them. Folks, I believe many, many of you here know and understand to some degree the power of prayer. We'll never know and understand the power of prayer till we get to heaven. Then we'll kick ourselves because we didn't pray more. How do you help people? You pray for them. Have you ever had someone tell you, I don't want you to talk to me about Jesus anymore? I have. Some of you have. You ever had someone tell you, I don't want you to invite me to church anymore? (laughs) Sure you have. Here's something great. Nobody can stop you for praying for them. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to pray for you. Don't pray for me. I've had someone tell me that. It's kind of like I want to go, nah, 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 nah. I'm going to anyway. Stop me, stop me, stop me. Be a little immature, wouldn't it? It would have been funny. Nobody can stop you from praying for them. The greatest thing you can do, it's not the only thing, but you pray for them. Number two, you love agape them. Now, why do I throw agape? New Testament is written in Greek. Remember, agape is the greatest Greek word for love. It's the word used the most times in the Bible for love. It's that unconditional benevolence. 
It means I may be disgusted with what you're doing with your life, but I love you as a person, and I'm going to show active love to you. How do I help people? How do you help people? You pray for them, and you love them unconditionally. That doesn't mean you approve of anything that they're doing, but you love them unconditionally. That is a a great way to help people. Number three, be there for them and with them. The ministry of presence. How many times have I heard this? Well, I I didn't call them or I didn't go there because I didn't know what to say. Folks, you don't have to say anything. Just be there. In fact, sometimes the worst thing we can do is think we've got to have a great answer. Person just lost their job, their their health, their family, and you got to say, "Oh, it's God's will. Everything will be great." You may get punched in the mouth, but just being there, loving them, and praying for them is huge. The ministry of presence. Be there. And number four, and this goes with this, give them your ear. Again, we want to give them advice. I just got finished reading the book of Job. By the way, if you want to feel better about your life, read Job. (laughs) Job's friends were idiots, though, weren't they? Good grief. (laughs) And God rebuked the fire out of them at the end of the letter, too. Yes, you may need to say and give advice, absolutely. But one of the greatest things we can give people is our ear. Listen to them. It's amazing, and I'm sure Brandon and Andy would tell you this. Sometimes the best counseling I do is when I say very little, and someone leaves and goes, you really helped me today. And I go, I didn't say anything. That's right, I just listened. That's probably what they needed to do. Give them your ear. That's how we can help people. Number five, you're going to get nervous, but give them money if that's what they need. Give them some money. I don't want to enable them. Okay, you know who you're enabling them and who you're not enabling. Most of the time, if it's a family member or friend, don't enable somebody you know that's going to use that money for go buy liquor or drugs or whatever. But sometimes one of the best things you do to help help somebody is just give them some money. And if I meet somebody on the street and they look destitute and they ask me for some money for food and I give them $5 and they go buy a beer with that or cigarettes... God's not going to hold me accountable for trying to help them. Now, if I walk them to the liquor store and say, help yourself, yeah, I need to be kicked in the, the head <laughs> for sure. I read a story of a, it was just, he was a seminary president. I mean, he was a high-ranking guy in our convention several years ago, and he was fired. I don't know whether it was right or wrong, but he was. And he said, everybody kept calling him, oh, if there's anything I can do, anything I can do. He said, I wanted to scream. There's a thousand things you can do. I don't have a job. Pray for me, but if you can send me some money so we can have some, some more food. or something, you know, there's, Help me. One way we can help people is by giving them money. Let me give you the last thing on this, and I, I think this is real important too. Just, just give and do whatever. Give and do whatever is needed. I'm going to embarrass Carla Smith here for a moment. Um, Carla's husband is, I'm sure he's in Bible drill, isn't he? Carla and uh, Greg and Neil and Jennifer live in my neighborhood. They live in the rich part of the neighborhood. Cindy and I kind of live in the slums. And uh, 
uh, Greg is, uh, is and Carla and Neil and Jennifer are all great neighbors. But a, a few months ago, I had a tree fall down, fell on my fence, and it was blocking in a car. And it's the pastor. I, this was Saturday afternoon. I can't really call in Sunday and go, well, I can't be there because there's, you know, my car's blocked in. It's not like y'all would be very understanding of that. And I needed a chainsaw. I don't have a chainsaw. Greg gave me a chainsaw to use. I think I actually broke it too, but he said I didn't. A few months before that, I had a battery go bad, and Greg gave me his battery charger, which, by the way, I still have, Carla. Uh, if you're getting one more of this story, never let me borrow anything. But, you know, what a great neighbor. And Neil made us a wonderful cake for Cindy's birthday, or pie. So what a great neighbor, Neil. And I needed that because the doctor said I need more sugar and calories. So... But, you know, those are simple things. But, wow, how helpful that was. How, how, what a blessing that was. Greg didn't say, let's pray. He said, here's the battery charger. Why that tree? God is punishing you. Well, he may have been, but Greg said, here's a tree. Let's start working on the punishment and getting it cleaned up. Here's a saw. Hurricane Katrina was nine years ago. Everybody remembers that. Everybody remembers that. We got the Revere's out of it and... Brenda, we got some great people uh, as a result of that storm. Maybe even Wayne and Stacy too. But you know, one of the things I saw was how to help people. Some people loaded up and they went down to South Louisiana, didn't they? With chainsaws, they went down there to give water, they went down there to give food, they went down there to help. I saw here in Ruston... I saw churches open up their buildings for people to sleep in and live in. I saw some of you, we got the berries too, by the way, out of that. Uh, I, saw people, I saw people open up their homes and let people stay here. If you remember our church for three weeks, uh, seven days a week, three times a day, we fed people. We were Red Cross feeding station. Uh, our church was, is blessed financially. We were able to give tens of thousands of dollars to the state convention to help. You know, some of the things we did is we let people use our phones. Doesn't that seem so simple? Then have a phone. Can I use your office? Absolutely. Can I use Josh's office? No, no one uses it ever. You don't want to go in. <laughs> he was almost asleep. I had to wake him up. But what I saw was is that, is that we, didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time getting a, a hurricane committee formed. We said, we've got to help. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's food, whether it's a phone, whether it's an office, a place to stay, whether it's, it's whatever it is, we just said we're going to help. And see, God says, when people need help, help them. And by doing this, what does he say at the end of this verse? By doing this... You fulfill the law of Christ. The word fulfill there is literally like filling a cup up with something. Here, it's filling that cup up with obedience. What's the law of Christ he's talking about here? Galatians 5.14. You go back one chapter. The entire law, the entire law as far as it talking horizontally with humanity is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. What a beautiful thing. You see, God says here... God says, listen, we talk 
theology, we talk philosophy, we argue theology, we argue philosophy, but the bottom line is is that people that love Jesus help people. They just jump in there and they try to do anything they can, not to continue to facilitate bad behavior, but to help people. That's what Christians are called to do. And then go back to that first thing. Christians are called to be spiritual enough that when someone messes up, that we can go in there and help them so they won't stay in the gutter, but we can get them back in the game for Jesus Christ. Those are beautiful, rare gems. But that's what God's called us to be. So my challenge for you tonight, I'm going to start with you Christians, is, is this you? Have you got a close enough walk tonight with God? If you got a phone call that someone you love and knew had really messed up that you could go in there and help them or would you just make it worse? Christian, let's get it right with God. And let's make a choice whether where we're standing or at the altar tonight to be the kind of person who helps people spiritually, who helps people in every area of their life. Maybe you're looking for a church to join tonight. I think we're this kind of church. I really do. And if you'd like to join us, one way you can do it is you can come in a moment and join us. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, man, God loves you. And the night to settle this with Jesus is tonight. Let's stand. And as God leads you, you step out and you come and you follow him tonight.